Chapter twenty six of Adeline Mowbray by Amelia Alderson Opie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pam Moscato. Chapter twenty six. We left Adeline preparing to address Mrs. Mowbray and recommend her child to her protection, but being deeply impressed with the importance of the task which she was about to undertake, she timidly put it off from day to day, and having convinced herself that it was her duty to endeavor to excite her husband to repentance and make him acknowledge Editha as his legitimate child, she determined to write to him before she addressed her mother, and also to bid a last farewell to Colonel Mordaunt, whose respectful attachment had soothed some of the pangs which consciousness of her past follies had inflicted, and whose active friendship deserved her warmest acknowledgments. Little did she think the fatal effect which an instance of his friendly zeal in her cause had had on Berendale, unconscious was she that the husband, whose neglect she believed to be intentional, great as were his crimes against her, was not guilty of the additional crime of suffering her to pine in poverty without making a single inquiry concerning her, but was convinced that both she and her child were no longer in existence. In her letter to him, she conjured him by the love which he always bore Glenmurray, by the love he once bore her, and by the remorse which he would sooner or later feel for his conduct towards her and her child, to acknowledge Editha to be his lawful heir, but to suffer her to remain under that protection to which she meant to bequeath her, and on those conditions she left him her blessing and her pardon. The letter to Colonel Mordaunt was long and perhaps diffuse, but Adeline was jealous of his esteem though regardless of his love, and, as he had known her while acting under the influence of a fatal error of opinion, she wished to show him that on conviction she had abandoned her former way of thinking, and was candid enough to own that she had been wrong. You, no doubt, she said, are well acquainted with the arguments used by different writers in favor of marriage. I shall, therefore, only mention the argument which carried at length full conviction to my mind and conquered even my deep and heartfelt reverence for the opinions of one who long was and ever will be the dearest object of my love and regret. But he, had he lived, would, I am sure, have altered his sentiments, and had he been apparent the argument I allude to, as it is founded on a consideration of the interest of children, would have found its way to his reason through his affections. It is evident that on the education given to children must depend the welfare of the community, and consequently that whatever is likely to induce parents to neglect the education of their children must be hurtful to the welfare of the community. It is also certain that though the agency of the passions be necessary to the existence of all society, it is on the cultivation and influence of the affections that the happiness and improvement of social life depend. Hence it follows that marriage must be more beneficial to society in its consequences than connections capable of being dissolved at pleasure, because it has a tendency to call forth and exercise the affections and control the passions. It has been said that were we free to dissolve at will a connection formed by love, we should not wish to do it, as constancy is natural to us, and there is in all of us a tendency to form an exclusive attachment. But though I believe, from my own experience, that the few are capable of unforced constancy, and could love for life one dear and honored object, still I believe 
that the many are given to the love of change that in men especially a new object can excite new passion and judging from the increasing depravity of both sexes in spite of existing laws and in defiance of shame i am convinced that if the ties of marriage were dissolved or it were no longer to be judged infamous to act in contempt of them unbridled licentiousness would soon be in general practice what then in such a state of society would be the fate of the children born in it what would their education be parents continually engrossed in the enervating but delightful egotism of the new and happy love lost in selfish indulgence the passions awake but the affections slumbering and the sacred ties of parental feeling not having time nor opportunity to fasten on the heart their offspring would either die the victims of neglect and the very existence of the human race would be threatened or without morals or instruction they would grow up to scourge the world till the whole fabric of civilized society was gradually destroyed on this ground therefore this strong ground i venture to build my present opinion that marriage is a wise and ought to be sacred institution and i bitterly regret the hour when with the hasty and immature judgment of eighteen and with a degree of presumption scarcely pardonable at any time of life i dared to think and act contrary to this opinion and the reverend experience of ages and become in the eyes of this world an example of vice when i believed myself the champion of virtue she then went on to express the following sentiments you will think perhaps that i ought to struggle against the weakness which is hurrying me to the grave and live for the sake of my child alas it is for her sake that i almost wish to die there are two ways in which a mother can be of use to her daughter the one is by instilling into her mind virtuous principles and by setting her a virtuous example the other is by being to her in her own person an awful warning a melancholy proof of the dangers which attend a deviation from the path of virtue but oh how jealous must a mother be of her child's esteem and veneration and how could she bear to humble herself in the eyes of the beloved object by avowing that she had committed crimes against society however atoned for by penitence and sorrow i can never now be a correct example for my editha nor could i endure to live to be a warning to her nay if i lived i should be most probably a dangerous example to her for i should be on my deathbed i think i may be allowed the boast respected and esteemed while the society around me would forget my past errors in the sincerity of my repentance if then a strong temptation should assail my child might she not yield to it from an idea that one false step may be retrieved and cite her mother as an example of this truth while unconscious of the many secret heartaches of that repentant mother unconscious of the sorrows and degradations which she had experienced she regarded nothing but the present respectability of her mother's life and contented herself with hoping one day to resemble her believe me that were it not possible for me to choose between life and death for my child's sake the choice would be the latter now when she shall see in my mournful and uneventful history written as it has been by me in moments of melancholy leisure that all my sorrows were consequent on one presumptuous error of judgment in early youth and shall see a long and minute detail of the secret agonies which i have endured those agonies wearing away my existence 
and ultimately hurrying me to an untimely grave she will learn that the woman who feels justly yet has been led even into the practice of vice however she may be forgiven by others can never forgive herself and though she may dare to lift an eye of hope to that being who promises pardon on repentance she will still recollect with anguish the fair and glorious course which she might have run and that instead of humbly imploring forbearance and forgiveness she might have demanded universal respect and esteem true it is that i did not act in defiance of the world's opinion from any depraved feelings or vicious inclinations but the world could not be expected to believe this since motives are known only to our hearts and the great searcher of hearts therefore as far as example goes i was as great a stumbling-block to others as if the life i led had been owing to the influence of lawless desires and society was right in making and in seeing no distinction between me and any other woman living in an unsanctioned connection but methinks i hear you say that editha might never be informed of my past errors alas wretched must that woman be whose happiness and respectability depend on the secrecy of others besides did i not think the concealment of crime in itself a crime how could i know an hour of peace while i reflected that a moment's malice or inadvertency in one of editha's companions might cause her to blush at her mother's disgrace that while her young cheek was flushed perhaps with the artless triumphs of beauty talent and virtue the parent who envied me or the daughter who envied her might suddenly convert her joy into anguish and mortification by artfully informing her with feigned pity for my sorrows and admiration of my penitence that i had once been a disgrace to that family of which i was now the pride no even if i were not for ever separated in this world from the only man whom i ever loved with passion and well-founded affection united for life to the object of my just aversion and were i not conscious horrible and overwhelmingly thought of having by my example led another into the path of sin still i repeat it for my child's sake i should wish to die and should consider not early death but lengthened existence as a curse so adeline reasoned and felt in her moments of reflection but the heart had sometimes dominion over her and as she gazed on editha and thought that mrs mowbray might be induced to receive her again to her favor she wished even on any terms to have her life prolonged end of chapter twenty six recording by pamascato